Welcome to the next episode of Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford, where we discuss all things college admissions. Joel and I have been having conversations about college admissions for years, and now we bring those to you. Our goal is to provide information to you, the listener, about the world of college admissions, the processes involved, and the current issues that are a part of the journey to post-secondary education. I'm Chris Reeves, retired public school counselor and now independent counselor, and I'm here with Joel Ford, school counselor at Connor High School. Listening to us with bated breath is Mike Piergowski, our producer, and Mr. Most Likely to Produce a Podcast in his high school. I think we've got a good one today. Uh, We're going to look at what the process is for a college to build an incoming freshman class, their goals, the pressures they face from administration, uh, the process of reviewing applications and making decisions. We want to know it all. And to do so, we have two great guests that will help educate us on the subject. And as you all know, bringing our guest in is always the best part of the podcast. We say that every episode. Well, thank, thank probably because it's true. Thank goodness for guests. <laughs> uh, no, no joke. Uh, Joel, before this, before we get to that, uh, what do you have for us to start off today? So I've had this segment planned since before uh, coronavirus hit. Uh, because I, I I personally enjoyed this segment the first time that we did it, and and I know when I failed, where you miserably. failed miserably, yeah. and I you know sometimes we do news headlines and things like that, but um, you know we haven't had a chance to play this for a while, and and part of it is to spotlight a college that maybe came across um, our desk, and and part of it you know selfishly is to see if Chris can actually play this game at all. <laughs> so let's play a rousing game of guess that college. All right. So, can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be great. So, Chris, I'm going to give you and our listeners some facts about a particular college that I've encountered recently, and then it's your job to guess what that college is. So the College Board website indicated this morning when I checked that there are 3,711 colleges in the United States. So start with that database in your head. All right. Got it. And because I'm not a complete jerk, I'm going to okay. narrow down the options for you. Today, Thank you. Today, we're going to go to the Big Sky Conference. So we're going out west. All right. I'm going to give you your four choices in alphabetical order. Okay? Okay. Your choices today are the University of Idaho. Chris all is right. diligently writing these down as if it's, this is going to matter at all. The University of Montana. Ooh, I want to visit that school. Northern Colorado University. Or the University of Northern Colorado. I can't remember which. (laughs) All right. And Southern Utah. All right. I've not been on any of these campuses. Okay. But I do know my geography relatively well. All right. So let's talk about this particular school, like I said, that that I came across in in, uh, my day job. All right. So here you go. Founded in 1881 before statehood happened, um, This university, located at the base of Mount Sentinel, is housed in the second largest city in its state. It spans 56 acres, has over 60 buildings, and has a 25,200-seat football stadium on its flagship campus. They are fifth among public universities in producing Rhodes Scholars. They also have had multiple Truman Scholars, Goldwater Scholars, and Udall Scholars. 93% of its applicants were accepted, um, and the average GPA for the fall 2017 freshman class was 3.55. Their middle 50% for the ACT was 21 to 26. And the university consists of 11 colleges. Got it so far? Okay, yeah, 11 colleges. Okay. One of the most significant places on campus is called the Oval, a three-acre area of grass running east to west marking the center of campus. Among their more famous alumni are Carol O'Connor, who played Archie Bunker on All in the Family, Jeanette Rankin, the first woman elected to the United States House of Representatives, and J.K. Simmons, actor and spokesman for Farmers Insurance. You know, we are farmers. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Top majors, according to the College Board, are business marketing, social sciences, education, and environmental science although they are also noted for their College of Forestry and Conservation. Chris Reeves, guess that college, buddy. Wow. Uh, 
I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Montana. Unbelievable. Did I get it right? That is correct. The correct oh answer today was the University of Montana. Nice. Uh, we may have to retire this game. I cannot believe you actually got that correct. Well, I won. I had a 25% chance. Yeah, definitely. I, I, you know, the 11 colleges were my biggest clue, probably. And then where it was the, the base of the mountain. I think that's where I got that. Yeah. And, you know, I, when I was reading about it further, you know, just, you know, of course, I'm a history geek at heart. Just the fact that the university was there before the actual state became a state. Yeah. yeah I mean, cool. obviously, you know, we know Montana existed prior to statehood, but, um, and, and then just the fact that, you know, you're thinking about Rhodes Scholars and, and, and all these prestigious awards that students get. And I just thought it was neat that the University of Montana was included in that, you know. Um, I, I, and, I think that said a lot. In some ways, I think that that kind of brings a point up with, with uh, you know, name brands are really popular with families. But doing some research doing and some research places that definitely that it's you know we would never think of this as a name brand although i know there's a college tour they do that i really would like to to go on which is uh, i think montana and montana state will you got to fly yourself out there but they'll do a college tour and then you get to go to yellowstone and tetons with professors that, and that would be like the ultimate that, i was gonna say that'd be your dream vacation right there it would be um so shout out to the university of montana um i'm i'm probably going to be pouting a little bit the rest of this episode that Chris got, got this game got right. correct today. Um, I, I, support me. I mean, I thought, sure, I had you on this one, but um, if, if anybody from Montana is listening, um, shout out to, to the University of Montana. And uh, if, if you're listening, do a little research on, on that university because you'll find some neat, neat things about it. So. Um, All right. Well, I'm, I am victorious, so I will, I will take us to a quick break here. Uh, uh, so we'll get back. Uh, when we get back from this break, let's let's learn a little more about shaping a freshman class. We will be right back. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Today's topic is about how a college shapes an incoming freshman class and what pro that process looks like. Uh, this is a topic I think we both are keenly interested in, as we've only worked previously on the high school side of the desk, although Chris has, has now recently joined the world of independent counselors. Uh, so we can provide the best information possible to our listeners. Of course, we decided to ask a couple of guests to come in for some schooling and some discussion. They're coming out with a new book uh, that's going to tie into our conversation today, um, and we'll talk about that as well. So, Chris, why don't you introduce our two guests for today's episode? I'm, I will gladly do that. I'm really excited. Um, first, we've got Jacques Steinberg, most recently Senior Vice President, Higher Education and Commission for Say Yes to Education, a nonprofit organization that works with over 100 colleges to help provide access to higher education for students through financial aid and other supports. He is the best-selling author of The Gatekeepers, which I have my signed copy on my desk right this in this spot, uh, was a senior editor for The New York Times and has a bachelor's degree in history from Dartmouth College. He's also currently a board director for NACAC. Eric Ferda is the Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania and the host of a radio show, The Process, on Sirius XM Radio Channel 109. Prior to his time at Penn, he was the Executive Director of Admissions and Vice President of Alumni Relations at Columbia University. He holds a bachelor's degree in international relations and affairs at the University of Pennsylvania and a master's degree in education policy from the Teachers College of Columbia University. Together, they've written a book entitled The College Conversation, a practical companion for parents to guide their children along the path to higher education, a guide that takes students and parents step-by-step step through the college admissions process from start to finish, uh, from not only the nuts and bolts of the application process, but also by helping students to learn about themselves, who they are, and where they want to be. Thank you guys for being on today's podcast, man. This is this is going to be a treat. Uh, we appreciate you guys 
uh, being on the, the podcast today. Um, I'm not sure. Thank welcome. Having us. Yeah, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, so glad to be here, guys. So we, we've got a lot that we want to discuss with you. So I guess, you know, let's start at the beginning. And we really want to talk about the process while at the same time letting um, listeners know about your book uh, that's coming out as well. Um, and, and so, you know, if you want to tie both of those things in as we talk, uh, that would be great. So our listeners, let's start with this. Our listeners always want to know that behind the curtain look of what they see as this mysterious process called college admissions. So, you know, for, for each of you, we'll start with this one. What do the first conversations look and sound like uh, when a college is starting to think about goals for an incoming class? And maybe, Eric, let's start with you. Sure thing. Uh, again, really appreciate being on, on the show with you and really love the work that you do. Love Guess That College. That's that's fantastic. So I, I think when you want to broadly think about the question that you just asked, you know, what are the goals of an incoming class? If there is a goal, it's that students are going to learn from one another. They're going to learn from each other. And so very broadly, you want to make sure that students and the perspectives that they bring are going to, you know, resonate and challenge the other students in the classroom, in the seminar room with the faculty members. So I think at the broadest sense, that's what we aim to do, that we want this to be an experience that individuals are going to learn from each other, challenge each other. And we need to be intentional about that as well, not only in the class that we admit, but then in the, the, the seminar rooms and the college houses, obviously now in a virtual world that these students are interacting with one another and challenging one another. That's really an interesting, uh, just uh, it's for someone who doesn't work on that side of the desk and, and has not been involved in conversations like that, it, that, that almost to me sounds some, like something so simple that I never really thought of <laughs> before, you know, thinking in terms of what's happening in your office, which is, you know, you know, really, Chris, uh, quit thinking so hard because what we really want are people who can learn from each other. Uh, that's some that's some great insight. Thanks, And Eric. so I would add, if you're a student or parent or a counselor listening who's working with students and parents, flipping that equation, um, how might you see yourself fitting into that community? What do you bring to that experience and, and what might you gain from it? You've, I mean, my mind is already just reeling. I don't, don't even know if I can focus on the rest of the podcast. You may have to come back because <laughs> I just, like, I want to, I want to talk to the families about, about this whole concept as they think we'll, about We'll school. take a quick break while Chris collects himself. <laughs> I, I know. No, it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty mind blowing. This is, this is why we do say that the best part of the podcast are our guests. So, so I want to, I want to expand on that a little bit though. So you've got this goal of students being able to learn from one another and interact with each other, but we know there are institutional priorities and, and pressures at play. So how do you balance, you know, being student focused with these pressures that the, that, that the institution may be putting on this process? I think that's for Eric, for yeah, sure. We'll start with yeah, Eric, yeah. Sounds, sounds good. Sounds good. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, starting with maybe the broadest framework, but then the details, right? How do you, you know, you could you could have the outline, but then how do you, you know, kind of fill in the full, the full picture? And, you know, I've worked at the University of Pennsylvania and Columbia University. So in some ways, I've been fortunate that I've worked at institutions that financially, although we're all you know, getting pushed right now, that financially we're able to be knee blind in our admissions policies. So, you know, for your listeners, you know, one question may be on the margins, will even something like applying for financial aid have an impact on the decision? Uh, you, you both know that some schools for some portion of their class may need to be aware of the finances and, and, and families' ability to meet those finances. Again, I think for your listeners, that may be on the margins, but that is one piece, particularly as we're looking at the stresses under COVID-19 right now, that maybe some financial considerations will be there. But then I think, you know, you could maybe back up and look at, and, and Jacques and I referenced the common data set in our book, The College Conversation, or maybe you look at the admitted student profile that's on the websites of the colleges. And so in some ways, you may be able to get, gain some insight into you know, what you're phrasing as, you know, rightfully so, institutional priorities. 
you know, you have an international audience listening to your podcast as an example. So what's the percentage of international students on a campus? Does it seem to be a truly national institution? And that's a goal to be broadly representative. You know, you, you brought up a, an institution before that is a flagship state. They're going to have a goal of meeting the needs of that state. So I think for families, they can really dissect this a little bit by taking a look at maybe the mission of the institution and then having a, a look at the, the overall profile of the admitted class. And that can indicate some of the values and priorities that, that, are, that are present at that institution. We have 33 sports teams at the University of Pennsylvania, as an example. So that's obviously going to be some part of the admitted class if you're supporting those teams. So I think you can really take a look at some of those goals and insight through the common data set and also the admitted student profile. And yet, I think one of the things we're also careful to say in the college conversation is being careful to not go too far in trying to game this process mm -hmm. from trying to outthink it as an outsider. As Eric says, there are any number of clues on the websites of any number of colleges as to what their priorities are. And yet, um, you as a family uh, are going to be tempted to try to figure out how can you control this from the outside. And there's an alchemy that happens in that room when Eric and his colleagues and similar conversations are happening at thousands of colleges that you can't possibly sort of know what the priority is on the table at that moment. And I think that's something as a relief for students and parents to, to, to give themselves license not to try to control something they can't control. What types, uh, this is back to Eric, what, what types of factors, sh sh I guess, what, how am I trying to phrase this? Uh, so you've got the athletics, you got to support those teams. Uh, what other, what other things do, do you have to kind of fill? Are you looking for certain numbers of majors? Are you looking for certain instruments? I mean, I've heard of getting as granular as, as well, you know, if you're an oboe player, they might need an oboe player, but, but, uh. If, if you're not, then maybe you don't get in over someone else who has the right instrument. Like, how granular does it get? How, how much do you have to support as you build a class? It, it, it's, it's, a great, it's a great question. And, you know, in so many ways, you know, this kind of is organic within an institution. And you're going to have faculty members that want to make sure that, you know, the arts at the University of Pennsylvania or at another institution, maybe STEM, because the institution just invested in a STEM building, you know, millions and millions of dollars. So they certainly want students who are going to populate those majors and those buildings to conduct research. So I do feel that when we say that we want students to learn from another, from one another, there is an intellectual piece to this. And that if you have undergraduate schools focused on something like the School of Nursing, you know, it, it's saying, you know, th these are the needs that we have. This is where we're investing. So that intellectual diversity is really important. Uh, perhaps families should look at the goals of a university president, Dr. Amy Gutman, who's a first-generation college student herself, has as part of her compact uh, inclusion and really thinking about what does an, an inclusive learning environment look like. So one in five students in our incoming class at Penn this year are going to be Pell, our Pell Grant recipients. So again, I think for the families, to Jacques' point, you're not going to be able to contort or fit yourself into something if you're not there. So don't let this cause anxiety. However, you're going, going to be able to see maybe from institutional priorities with investments in programs, buildings, academic departments, really maybe, and what's great about this is college counselors, you could think about, well, where do I fit in? You know, what, what resonates with me? So in some ways you're matching the two up, right? The institutional priorities to your own personal priorities. But as you said, it can get pretty granular. And, I'm, and I do not, I, I do not ask that to try to figure out how to game the system. I, in fact, I, I kind of feel like it is, it's where we can find relief, which is, Listen, you, 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 this, and Jacques said this, and, and, and I still show his video when he was at US or, uh, to, to the Today Show uh, way back when, which is this is where you can actually relax and think, well, it's not me. It's, it's not because everything I've done in my life isn't valuable or I, or I you know, when I, when I get a no from a school, it's not a testament to, like, to, to me as a person or my quality. It's just things didn't match. And, it, you know... Well, Go ahead, Joel. I was going to say, one thing I really liked about the, the book as we read it was 
Um, and if the, here's a blooper, you know, somebody's leaving me a voicemail as I'm talking on this. So if you hear a little bit in the background, I think I have a prescription ready, but anyway, um, <laughs> that's great. That's, it's just, this is how this podcast rolls, isn't it? Um, one of the things I, I enjoyed about the book though, was, you know, you were, you were talking about not trying to fit the, into what you think the college is looking for in that gamesmanship. But the one thing I really enjoyed about the book was that it really looked at trying to get the students and parents as well to, to figure out for themselves who they are and really, you know, what they're looking for in, in this whole college search and really in life, you know, rather than saying, Oh, I've got to be this type of person to get into school X. Why don't we take a little bit of time and figure out who I am in the first place? Um, you know, and that was something that I, I really appreciated because I think that's something that a lot of times I see in students, you know, they, oh, I want to go to this school. What are they looking for? Um, well, why don't we figure out who you are first and then kind of go from there? Um, yeah, I mean, one of the ways we thought about the college conversation was to think of it a little bit like a guided meditation and to find prompts that parents and students could use, over a dozen of them, to actually sit down and talk to each other about what matters, what do they value? I mean, how many times as a parent do you have an opportunity to actually clear space to sit down and talk to your child and say, what do you value in life? What do, what do you see? Where do you see yourself in four years? And how can um, a, a higher education experience um, help get you to that uh, moment? Just a, a moment almost of pause. Well, and I and I think too, um, reminding parents that you know when when a student starts writing things down and and sharing with you that you know don't come back and and tell them oh you're wrong, but really accept that and use that you know to to start that conversation rather than just you know it being sort of a yes no kind of kind of conversation. Um, you know, I, I think it would, it, it's going to lead to some organic, really organically created a good conversation, you know, between the two parents and students that maybe they've never even had before. Uh, and, and to your point, we advise the setting up of ground rules and, and guardrails and, and reminding you as a parent, um, when you uh, visit a school with your child and say, um, who wouldn't want to go to this school? I, I want to go to this school. Well, you know, a reminder to kind of catch that thought that it's, right. it's, is it, is it really about you? Um, and, and even being careful in terms of a, a poker face, uh, Chris knows I have no poker face, but as a, as a parent, you, you really have to, because they're looking to you for that, ex, you know, for that guidance, that expression. Um, on the other hand, when it comes to something like cost, uh, which we very much believe should be in the conversation at the outset, um, that may really be a point in the conversation where you do need to show some cards uh, to the point of talking about your income and your savings right. and what you're willing to pay and, and where financial aid might come into play. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder about that with, with uh, like the details of money and families. These kids, the, student, the kids of your household don't always know details like that. And it's something that, that parents don't always share with students. You know, they don't know how much is in investments or how much is in savings, or it's just maybe like almost improper to have your kids involved in those adult things. But then all of a sudden they hit this time in their life where they kind of need to understand. And, and I don't know, I don't know when it's appropriate or what's, what, uh, what that process is, should be like, but it does come a point where you kind of have to have that. Yeah. Well, we really were thinking about this part of the conversation as one of students having some license and ownership and, you know, right. realizing that this is a big investment financially and otherwise. And so, you know, when we are talking about 18 year old, 19 year olds, right? And, you know, th these conversations can be pretty heavy in some ways, while also without burdening them, helping them realize that this is, there's some shared sacrifice here and that this is an investment 
and that this is an opportunity for them that they, you know, certainly, you know, are going to take seriously. We want them to have fun with it while also that th this is uh, an adult conversation in many ways, maybe one of the first times they've had one. Yeah. It's a great term, shared sacrifice. I'm writing that down, Eric. <laughs> shared sacrifice. So, so, so. Jacques probably said it sometime along the way, but that's, that's what's great about having a co-author. Someone can say something and then it sticks in your head. <laughs> right. So, so back to the college side for a, a moment. So, you know, for our students, some of our students go to, um, a lot of our students will go to, to public universities and, and that may just sort of have set criteria for admission. But for colleges that use a holistic approach, um, you know, again, we want to know what's going on on the other side. Because for us, like we said before, sometimes it seems really mysterious and we don't really, you know, it's behind closed doors kind of thing. So take us through what the conversations are like um, for, for colleges that are using a holistic approach. As you're, as you're building your freshman class, you're thinking about the students you want. You're thinking about the institutional priorities. Um, who's in the room? Who's having those conversations? And, and, and what's, going, what's actually being said? Um, and, and either one of you can start on this one, because I know you both have experience on this particular question. Eric, if you want to start. Sure thing. Sure thing. Happy, happy to. Uh, well, Jacques and I have, when, you know, through the college conversation, we show that there's different levels of decision-making that's taking place. And for the most part, the decision-making is within the, the family and students' hands. Uh, but there is this part after you press the submit button where the decision part of the process is firmly in the college's hands. And I, I love, you know, the reference of, you know, who's in the room, you know, given the, you know, the world of Zencaster and, and Zoom and everything else that we're in right now, I've given a couple of presentations to students literally from my office inside the admissions office. So it's been kind of fun kind of playing off of that saying, hey, it's not mysterious. Here's my office. You're inside it right now. Sure. And yeah. so, you know, I think the mysterious part is that the decisions aren't completely, if at all, predictable. It's not input these elements, and if, as long as you're putting those things in there, the decision is going to equal, you know, kind of that natural, <laughs> that natural, you know, decision and an outcome. And so that's the mysterious part, and you know, that's because you don't know actually what's going to take place. I mean, these are very human decisions, which means they're subjective, so that feeds into this as well of not being predictable. The conversations really center around, you know, the first framing of how is the student going to engage our institution and how can this institution, our college or university, you know, engage that student, you know, it's that two-way relationship. How are, what are they going to contribute and how can we help this student grow and in what way? The, the conversations within the room also are with faculty and academic advisors from undergraduate schools and programs. So part of their questions are, how can we support this student if they need support? And where, how, you know, how can we meet the student where they are, you know, at any level, at the highest level of achievement, but then also maybe where we feel that a student is going to need, you know, some, you know, some infrastructure around them, some scaffolding around them to make sure that they thrive. And so, you know, again, I think the mysterious part is because it's not completely predictable, but the decisions, I think, are like any, many decisions that are made in, in any setting. You want to have that sense of what does this person bring to the table and how can we also challenge this student and help them grow over the next four years? I have a follow up to that. The two way converse, the two way conversation, which is, you know, what does the kid offer the college? What does the college offer the kid sort of thing or contribute, however you want to say that. Do you do you think there are some institutions that are kind of heavier one direction or the other? And I'm not looking for names. I'm just looking for, you know, are, are some schools looking out more for, hey, what does this kid provide us? And are other schools thinking more in terms of what can we do for the students? Or is it a 50-50? Like, I don't know the math behind it, but... Yeah, I think it's a great question, Jacques. You actually have a broad outlook from say yes as seeing students being sent to different places versus my kind of narrow view within one place. Yeah, I mean, I think that so Eric and I brought uh, a couple of different perspectives to this book. And one of the things I'm excited about is the sum of the parts. I mean, Eric has that more than a quarter century as a practitioner, including at uh, two different institutions. 
Um, I spent a year uh, for my first book, The Gatekeepers, following around an admissions officer at another institution, Wesleyan University in uh, Middletown, Connecticut. And then in the course of my time as a reporter, have talked to um, dozens of people in roles like Eric's. And, and, and I think the, the, most, the most accurate response to your question, Chris, is that this is so messy. And, um, and, and I'm not sure I can come up with a better word. And I don't, I, I don't mean that word as a criticism. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, there's so many things at play in that room as to what is the institution looking for? What is the student looking for? How can each benefit the other? That, that sometimes it can be hard to disentangle. Um, there is a reality to this, as we talked about at the outset of the podcast, that um, colleges are trying to build these almost utopian communities where, uh, students bring all kinds of skills and experiences that that can not only benefit the institution but each other um, but I think the one of the most important takeaways from this for students and parents is to know that people in positions like Eric are going to give you the floor um, in this process that there is a human being and not a computer um, that is going to consider your application. And in all likelihood, it will be multiple human beings. And they're going to give you the opportunity to talk about um, what it is you would bring and what you're seeking. And, and then they're going to have a conversation about um, what, what it, you know, how it aligns with what the institution is seeking. So I think the confidence of trying to quite literally imagine a human being as you're writing that essay portion of your application can be very helpful. So I have a follow-up question to, to this, which is kind of based on the whole core of this, the title of this episode. Uh, you know, we want to highlight the book for sure, but we wanted to surround that with, with, the, with the shaping of freshman class. You know, are we even accurate in thinking that, we're, that, we're, that you're looking at a whole class versus individual? So that was maybe, maybe that clarifies the whole point of this episode, which is we wanted to investigate whether... Each student is looked at individually in a vacuum in, in, in some institutions, or or is it looking at the whole class? So are, are we accurate in, in suggesting that with institutional goals and whatnot, that we, that we are looking at, a, at, a, at admitting a class versus individuals, or is it individuals? <laughs> Eric, I'd love, for, I'd, love, I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Sure. I mean, it, you know, none of the decisions happen in a vacuum, right? You know, particularly when, and maybe a good example, and we have in the book is even the difference between a rolling admissions plan that, you know, decisions are going to be made within a certain time period and the student and family will find out what that decision is versus reviewing a pool, an early decision pool, early action pool, regular decision pool with fixed deadline and all the decisions are released at the same time. That, that means that it is both individual and a class. It's not in a vacuum because you are competing within an applicant pool. Now, you know, I think for, for many, again, that doesn't mean that you need to position yourself one way or the other. Your individual voice does matter. We want to make sure there's authenticity in that voice. And we really talk about that throughout the book. However, you know, yes, it's competitive and you are competing against other students. So it, it's not just in, in a vacuum. And, you know, to really think about this again, I mean, Penn's class is 2,400 students. There's a lot of different opportunities for a student to find their voice within a class that large, while we are mindful of, of, of making sure that with a, truly an international applicant pool that we're going to consider all of the different voices in that pool. And I know that this sounds euphemistic in some ways. <laughs> some listeners are probably like, okay, come on, how do I get in? Uh, but th- th- this is the reality. This is what we're doing. And, and, so now can I position myself within that? Yes, you can because of your own authenticity, your own voice. And there's a lot of opportunities to do that within the application itself. But then is it fair to, to tell a student if they don't get in that it may not, it may not totally be that you're not qualified. It just may be that you're not the right fit for that college's situation at that moment. Is that fair to, to tell a student? I, I think it's totally fair. And I think it's important for families to know that as well, uh, that these decisions are not, you know, kind of a judgment on parenting or what you've achieved as a student. Uh, it's 
it's a competitive pool and you could look at that with admit rates, but we really try to tamp down that temperature, right, Jacques, with saying that the average admit rate in the country is somewhere around mid 60%. You know, the two of you know that even better than I do uh, from the college counseling side. So, you know, if you stack your list with schools with single digit admit rates, you know, you may see certain outcomes and it may work out, but we're also very careful about calibrating one's college list as well. Yeah, that's. I mean, I'm a firm believer in a in a in a great college list can can solve a lot of problems. Uh, just can you tell, Eric? Can you tell when someone's trying too hard in their application? I, I think Jacques and I were really you know mindful of wanting the readers of the college conversation to realize that there isn't like a formula and therefore predictable that right. you know we want the students to be who they are that's the whole framing of the five eyes about identity and interests etc is that you know find your voice you know certainly that's not easy to do at any age but then share it and i think the trying too hard is when you try to fabricate and become something that you aren't and then those words, you know, to, to Jacques' term before, it becomes a little messy, right? Because, you know, you, you really d don't want to try to be something that you aren't because it's going to feel, I think, a little too stifled and it's going to come off that way. It's just difficult to, to your point, you, you got, I mean, you guys are right, 100% right. Everything, everything you say in the book is on point, mm -hmm. every single line. It's just we have a country of type A personalities who just want to make things happen. That's right. And they're just, and, and some people are successful people who have always made things happen and they don't, and they have control in their lives, but they don't have control of this. And again, you're right. The best, it is messy. And the best approach is to as cliche as it could sound, it's right, which is you have to be yourself and you have to learn who you are. And, and as authors, all we can control is, is putting out credible information born of our own experience and in reporting we did for the book in sort of including others in the conversation. But one thing Eric has uh, sort of taught me, one of many things, is that, um, I, I, Eric, you've said that you can tell when a parent is trying too hard and sometimes the voice in that essay um, is so clearly not that of an 18-year-old, but of, uh, of, a, of, a, of an adult of a certain age. It, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's great. And, you know, we talk about in the book, Jacques and I think about like a mosaic and how different pieces get stitched together to create this, this, this grander picture of, of self. And again, that self is, is forming. We're talking about 17, 18, 19 year olds again. So I, I do think that when you start seeing language particularly in essays, I think we'll really center around that for a second, that don't seem to match up with other parts of the application. You know, the way the teacher talks about the student's writing or, you know, the way the student is being portrayed in other letters of recommendation from the college counselor or the teachers, or perhaps in an alumni interview or an interview on campus with an admission officer when available. So it's when the pieces don't start knitting together where you can really get that sense of this isn't really, I think, who we're reading about right now. It's when it's, you know, kind of incongruous of other pieces of the application and you're just, you're kind of just wondering. And, you know, you know, for your listeners, you know, admission officers, we only have so much time anyway. So we're not going to be able to sit there for like five days and really try to contemplate the meaning of that, that one piece. So we're right. also very careful. Jacques and I are really careful about saying, to direct the attention of the admission officer, to help guide us as admission officers, as readers, so that we do get that sense of who you are. And it's going to be, again, in a comprehensive way among many different elements from listing your uh, extra and co-curricular activities to teacher recommendations, counselor letters, and then also what you have to say about yourself in essays. Yeah, people want to know the secret. <laughs> and, 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 the, the, secret the secret is there is no secret. Yeah. Right. That's okay. right. Well, we no, it, no, it, that can't be right. No, come on. Tell <laughs> Hold on to know. minute fifty nine because that's when we're going to actually right. tell you how you get in. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. Keep listening. We're going to ask Eric some really good questions coming up, and your kid could get in. <laughs> so one question I want to ask that we haven't brought up. So, so we're talking about the student, how they'll blend in with the school institutional priorities. Let's throw money into the mix. Uh, how, how do colleges balance attracting the students that they're looking for 
and building that class that they want while also maximizing revenue? Or is that well, even a concern? Well, it, it is absolutely a concern at, at most institutions. And, you know, again, going back to thinking about whether a school is going to factor in that equation, whether they're need blind or not, need blind, you know, jargon alert here, meaning mm -hmm. that applying for aid may have an impact on the decision that's made, you know, on your application. I mean, the University of Pennsylvania, we're need blind for North America, but when we're looking at students from outside of that, re that region, then we're need aware. And so finances mm -hmm. for par even part of our decision making at one of the most resource institutions in the world, that you know that is a consideration. And you know, again, not to get too much into jargon here, but all of us, you know, on this podcast right now, we've experienced. You know, when I started in 1987, I don't think that the term enrollment management was really kind of mainstream. While now, you know, you have individuals who need to look at all of those different pieces: admission, finances retention of students, right? That's a big part of the equation too. You're not just trying to admit students. You want them to follow through into their second year of college and then also graduate. Then we talk about that as part of the value proposition too. It's not just getting in. It's also then, you know, gaining that degree and earning that degree over a four-year period. And some stats are six years. So finances are a part of this, some more outward than others if you're not a need-blind institution, while also, you know, every school has to have some considerations of how they're going to balance their books. Money always plays a role. It's hard to it's hard to get around that. And yet you would um, and, and, and you all are the professionals in, in terms of if a if a student or parent was thinking, I, I'm not going to check that box um, in the application where I say I need financial aid, even though I desperately need financial aid because I want to improve my chances of getting into that school that may be need aware. Um, Th that would be uh, heartbreaking and a miss. Is that fair? That's completely fair. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've had I've, I've had one particular student in the past several years who who went early decision to a school they really had no business um, going early decision to because they, they wanted to get in, but the money just wasn't there. I think I mean I don't, they she ended up going, but I don't know what kind of sacrifices the the family made you know, for their own futures to make sure she could go to that school. So, so let's talk for a couple of minutes specifically about your book and, and kind of how it came about. So we want to have a vision. I've got a vision, Joel. I've got a vision. So okay. they're, sitting, they're sitting there having a beer and they're like, you know what? We should write a book. You know what? You're a good writer. I know some stuff. I, I'm, I'm really curious. Like, cause all these things are born somewhere, you know, in yeah. a, in a, in a so in a, in a in a in a ale house or I don't know I don't know. So how, how did you guys get together and decide? Hey, let's write a book together. So it's um, when I was at the New York Times. Um, you, you you know, as a reporter and uh, and later having a college admissions blog for four years, you're you're constantly calling on pools of experts and and NACAC, the National Association for College Admission Counseling. Where, where Chris and I were on the board together, is a fabulous repository of experts in the field, both on the counseling and admission side of the desk. And um, Eric is, was one of a number of people that I often called to as go-to. Can you answer questions on the blog? Um, can we uh, do a forum together? What have you? Can we quote you in an article? And, uh, and we always enjoyed this running conversation, which has been going now between us for more than a decade. But uh, to answer your question, um, and honest to God, this is true. Um, I was on a college tour with my son three and a half years ago, and uh, the phone rang, my cell phone rang, and I saw Eric's name come up on the phone. And, uh, and if you'll ask my son, he was so irritated that I would step away from a, a college tour to take a phone call. But I thought if Eric were calling, pretty important probably. And so I stepped away. And uh, he said, listen, we can talk about this more later, but, uh, and I know it's a Saturday afternoon, but uh, we should write a book together. And I said, it's, God, it's funny you should say that, you know, where I'm, I'm hearing this conversation as I'm on a college tour. And I said, give me the headline and then we'll talk more. And he said, you know, something to the effect of, I think it should be a book for parents to help, you know, take all that we've learned and others in our lives, uh, professionally and personally have learned and write a book to arm parents uh, for this experience. 
And, uh, and that's really where it started. And ultimately, we wound up writing a proposal together. And um, that proposal was accepted by uh, Viking Penguin Random House. And, and here we are three uh, and a half years later. And uh, one thing that was fun just to try to imagine is uh, in a pre-COVID world, um, we were able to write every word in the book together uh, side by side in person um, in really? the Philadelphia area. Wow. We just we we really wanted to be true to that. Some of the parts, and and I just thought that you know the best way to do this is for us to be in a room together, um, talking and typing and uh, and and having our own kind of conversation. I think you've kind of answered this. I was curious as to what literary void you were trying to fill. You know, it's it's hard. I mean, one of the things when and one of the things I said to Eric when he called that day, and even I think even before I returned to that college tour, I remember saying, you know, God, Eric, the 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 pressure is going to be high on us because there are so many outstanding titles in the space um, seeking to examine the admissions process from the perspective of journalists, from the perspective of family, uh, from the how to to the how to get ins to the here's how it all works to the expose but um i think ultimately what we first of all we bring our own perspective and uh, that of a of in eric's case somebody who's been doing this work for more than a quarter century and and somebody like me who's been sort of watching and observing and learning and being the proxy of of parents and students but also the last few years at a nonprofit but um i think one thing that differentiates is really focusing on the parent, um, not saying, um, hey, this is your process, you're going to run it. But, but how can we, particularly for a parent who has not gone through this process before, maybe somebody who's first generation, um, that was a huge concern of ours, but also a parent who went through this process themselves so many years ago as for that information and experience to not be so relevant, how can we arm you um, as a parent or as another adult, as a counselor, as a mentor, um, as a guardian um, to, to guide a young person through this? I, I really felt reading the book that if I were a parent going through this the first time, I could I could literally go through the college admissions process and for each chapter, stop, read the chapter, learn about it, and then put it into action. And then we go to the next step. And, and I thought the book did, a, did an excellent job of just walking families through step by step what this process is, what are the different terms and things that you're going to, to encounter in this process, and really also allow, again, students and parents that self-discovery in this process. Um, I, I just thought the book was excellent at that. I, I, I could almost imagine parents just holding this sort of like their college admissions Bible, you know, and, you know, oh, somebody mentioned, so, oh, I remember that and, and being able to go right in the book and get the information that they needed. Well, we really appreciate that. And it, yeah, I mean, one of our mantras to each other was, and, and you guys do it on the show so well, uh, assume no knowledge. And what would it try to forget everything we've learned and imagine what it would feel like to not know? What, what if we didn't know the difference between need-based aid and merit aid? And, and what would it feel like to see those terms? Mm -hmm. So let, let's, let's assume that the reader doesn't know. And if you are a reader that does, then it only reinforces what you know. Sure. Yeah, that's, sorry, I, try, I almost interrupted back there. I, um, I was just, and then you probably have answered it in some ways, but, but as you thought about the book early on, what impact are you hoping to make? Well, that's really, you know, I, I think when you think of all the work that, that Jacques has undertaken, you know, between being a New York Times writer and author of The Gatekeepers and, you know, kind of an inflection point for me before this, even the idea of the book came up was I was speaking to an audience, you know, one of those junior parent nights at a school that is going to invite deans of admission to come speak. And, you know, it was dynamic. It was fun. I'd love getting up and presenting in front of people. I know I really miss it right now. But I was thinking to myself, gee, if we could just capture this information in some way 
and democratize the information to help individuals, then I, you know, the, the audience just becomes wider and you, you all do a great job as well. You know, you think about your own knowledge and then having your podcast to be able to share that knowledge. And, you know, this book I think is a significant step, at least personally for me to be able to share the knowledge that I've tried to disseminate either in presentations a Coursera class, how to apply to college, a, a, a MOOC that I put together with a CBO director, a Stepping Stone Scholar. So kind of had that view as well of, of college access, you know, as well as the radio show on Sirius XM. So, you know, this is particularly, you know, working at a university and looking at faculty members. I mean, this has really been the greatest honor that I've ever had to be able to, to co-author a book. Well, it's, fan it's fantastic. Uh, did you learn, this is personal, by the way, but did you all learn anything about yourselves as you as you went through this process? I'll start with Jacques. Yeah, so I'm a parent, uh, as Chris knows, who has gone through this process twice with one who has graduated and one who is midway through. And um, there were more than a few times where I said to Eric, shoot, I, I, I wish I had had that piece of advice when I was going through this as a parent or... Um, I, and, I, and I don't talk about my kids in the book because that's their story, not mine. But um, I made, you know, however many number of mistakes that I as a parent made in this process and, and spoiler alert for the parents listening, just know that you are not going to get it perfect, that there is no perfect and that uh, and in the vein of this being messy, it's going to be messy for you as a parent, too. Um, but there were things that I learned along the way, including from my kids and from their counselors um, that are infused uh, throughout this book. Eric, well, what, did you, did you, what did you learn? Well, it was really humbling because I had the benefit of being naive and what it would take to write a book. Uh, and, and, <laughs> okay. and, and Jock <laughs> was not naive because he, he's an author and, and, and a writer. And so, you know, truly, and I think the lesson here is, and I'll go back to like kind of building a class, it's building a team. You know, I know that I was, I asked somebody who was already experienced in this, in this area, uh, Jacques was so nice to, to agree and, and move forward with this project with someone that really didn't know what he was up against. And we have on a napkin, uh, Jacques kind of drew out like a, a, a tall mountain and where we were step by step to get to that top of the mountain. And, you know, it, it is an endurance test. So I think what I learned about myself is what it takes to have that endurance and then also went to step away from it. And Jacques was really the director in that way. He'd say, okay, we just achieved this. We just wrote for three days. I think three days was probably the longest we wrote in a row. And he said, leave it alone. Don't think about this for a few days. And so he helped me learn about, you know, endurance and how to pace myself. You know, Chris, what I think is funny is they were talking about, um, you know, they were already having conversations back and forth, you know, for years. And then, you know, ultimately they just kind of came up with the idea of, hey, let's write a book. Um, that sounds eerily familiar Very to, to how this podcast even came about. So uh, I just found that found that amusing. I, I bet that's how most great things um our you just say a podcast was a great thing, Joel. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Did you indirectly just say absolutely. that? Absolutely. Just say that. I, I just, oh my gosh. I just found the similarity. Um, no, it is. We again, we've yeah. been friends for a long time. We, we knew each other, and then one day, I, I think, called you and said, "Yeah, we need to do a podcast." Yeah. Uh, any medium people are comfortable with is, I think, fantastic. Uh, I feel like I've found the way I like to communicate. And it sounds like, uh, you know, Jack and Jack and Eric, you've got all kinds of ways to communicate with the Sirius XM show and, and writing a book. It's, it's phenomenal. Speaking of pacing yourself, I heard a great story, which is uh, at NACAC meetings, you know, uh, Jack and I like to run sometimes. And, and, and I heard he doesn't run with a lot of people, but he, he also runs with you. <laughs> well, I, I, I truly, I truly think that that's a, that's a piece here, you know, with any team, there's similarities and I think common trust that is there while also just bringing different strengths. I mean, I, I think we fed off of each other in a really positive way. You know, again, Jacques is very organized. He helped pace and course our, you know, the, 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 the trail that we needed. And, and I think that there were times that I helped give him extra energy, you know, just to, you know, kind of hit that next plateau that we needed to reach.
And I think one of the most fun parts of the book for us as uh, as as writers, co-writers, was the section of the book where we help parents guide their children through the process of writing their essays. And I took a stab at some tips from the perspective of a writer and then handed uh, the baton to Eric to give some tips from the perspective of a reader. And I thought, you know, together uh, and, and, you know, some of those tips were slightly different, but but consistent. But that was sort of the ultimate some of the parts moment for the, the writing of the book. And, and also, um, Eric pushed me through that section. It uh, was one of my strongest memories of the actual writing of the book. Um, you know, come on, dig deeper. Uh, you know, imagine you, you were that parent helping guide that child through the writing of the essay knowing what you know as a writer, what would you arm them with? It was, uh, that, that was a high point of this experience for me. It's fantastic. I, I mean, I, congratulations on, on, on finishing, on finishing your book and, and doing such a great job on it. I, um, I can't wait to get, uh, get my hands on a, an actual copy of the book. And then next time I see you, next time I see you all, maybe, maybe it's uh, Seattle 2021, uh, I'll, I'll I'll bring that along so you can sign sign that copy too. Yeah. So is there any? Oh, go, go ahead, John, no, go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, is there is there anything you would before we kind of go to a, to a little break here and do our final pieces? Is there anything that we haven't said that you you would like to you would like to say about about your book or this process or anything? I guess just that uh, that this process, for particularly for the students and parents who are listening, but for the counselors too, um, this process is doable. It uh, these outcomes are attainable if you are realistic, if in your expectations, if you're if you do your homework, if you ask tough questions, if you create, as you said, Chris, a balanced list. Um, that 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 th- th- this is doable uh, is what I would say, and it's daunting, uh, but uh, but possible. Eric, what would you uh, say? I, I, I agree with that. And I think one of the opportunities with the book, depending on people pick it up, is if you have kind of a longer runway, maybe, you know, freshman, sophomore in high school, then you're going to be able to pace yourself in a different way. I think for others, they may skip a few chapters and go right to, you know, certain sections. I, I just hope that this is what I really hope takes place, really, when a parent has our book in their hands, I hope a student looks at it and, and sees this as an opportunity and not a chore, that this is something that's going to help them to kind of focus their efforts as they think about higher education. Absolutely. So listeners, once again, the book is The College Conversation, a practical companion for parents to guide their children along the path to higher education. It comes out September 22nd. Um, so by the time you're listening to this podcast, it will be out. Get yourselves a copy. Um, it's going to help you on this process um, immensely. And it's going to walk you through step by step um, the process. And you're just going to be better for it. Um, Jock, Eric, thank you guys so much for being on the Get Schooled podcast. T-shirts are coming your way. Um, <laughs> I know you'll wear them with pride. Uh, as we tell everybody, this could be the pinnacle of your professional careers, but probably <laughs> not. <laughs> um, but we, we certainly do appreciate you guys being on the podcast. Thank Let's you. Take a quick break, and then we'll be back. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, you're, you are quite welcome. We, we're honored to be, uh, for you to be guests on our podcast. Let's take a quick break, Joel, and we'll be right back with a few more final pieces. Sounds good. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. As always, we take a different four different lenses to look at today's topics. And Joel, why don't you begin? Sure. So let's start with if you are a school counselor. So I'm going to be honest. Um, you know, I'm still a little baffled uh, because for all we tell students about what matters to a college, you're students need to know that you're never going to truly know the inner workings of creating a freshman class. Messy. It's messy. Okay. But you need to know um, that 
you know, it is a process for the, for you. So if, if you're a school counselor, I guess what I would say to school counselors, pay attention. Be aware of what's in the news, especially with schools in your neck of the woods and schools that you, you typically send students to on a regular basis. And most importantly, be in contact with those in the know on the college side uh, so that you can best advise your students. Help your students be the best version of themselves, but also help them understand that a decision that goes against them may be just as much about the college and its needs and priorities as it is about the supposed qualifications or lack thereof of the student. Um, it, it may very well be, it's not you, it's me kind of thing. You know, so they should join their local ACACs. Yeah. If you're a school counselor, know, and definitely. To, and get to know the college reps and yeah. get to know. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. If you're at a university, you got, I feel like I say the same thing every time on my, if you're at a university section, mm-hmm. but it's always true. Transparency is so important. So being transparent with, with what you're doing and what you're sharing, um, those people in, in highly selective institution may have the luxury of building a class versus hoping to meet your class uh, and have the responsibility to to the profession and, and the students. Um, you know, it's, it's you're at the top of the rankings, you get tons of applications and really like your behavior sets the landscape for for the rest of us. So being clear and I appreciate Eric's uh, comments today because it's it, it was fantastically clear and um, I, I appreciate being from a highly selective institution, him, him sharing with us today. Uh, but at your university, just being clear about your processes is the key. Yeah. If you're a parent, be supportive of your child if they get into a school. Be supportive of your child if they don't. Um, and for the love of God, don't call that admissions office so you can give them a piece of your mind. Uh, <laughs> one, you just killed any chance for your child to be reconsidered. And two, well, two, it's just rude. But three, there may be institutional goals and pressures at play that you know nothing about and that are far outside of whether or not your child is accepted to that school. So just, again, be supportive of your student and know that in most cases things are going to work out and your child is still going to be fine and go to a great school that's going to be right for them. Yeah, don't do their essay either. Oh, yeah. Eric, and, Eric and his team will Eric, know. Eric will know. If you wrote the essay and the kid didn't. All right, if you're a student, there's good news and bad news. Ready? Bad news first. Um, colleges get a lot of colleges get lots of amazing applicants, and they can't admit them all. That's just it's a fact. It's a matter of numbers. Sometimes more people get denied than accepted. It's just the way it is at some schools. Not most. We talked offline, and then 65% is the, the national admission rate, so it's, it's not single digits all the time. Uh, but sometimes you're, you're applying to schools where more people get denied than accepted. Than accepted. Sometimes uh, almost everyone gets a no, and it's really hard to predict. It cannot be predicted. Here's the good news. You, you get to go to college, and if you didn't get into a school, it is not a referendum on your character. It's not you. It's them. It will sting. Every no stings. It will sting when you get a no. But you have to understand how fickle this process can be. And, and then you might not be so hard on yourself. Yeah, definitely. And so with that, we'll take another quick break and we'll come back with our final word of wisdom for the day. All right. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reason Ford. Chris, why don't you give us our final word of wisdom for the day? Today's word of wisdom is journey. Many times in the college admission process, students and parents are focused on the destination. Where am I going to school? Am I going to get in? Will I earn that top top scholarship? Uh, Today's episode should show you that uh, the college admissions process is as much as a, a journey as a destination. And why is that important? It's because, and I give this speech all the time, it's because self-discovery is at the core of this process. Understanding who you are is possibly the most difficult yet most valuable aspect of college admissions. Even, even going back to a, creating a college list, you, you've got to understand who you are as a person, how you got to this point, and, and, and why this school's on your list. What you're going to write about in your essay, again, all comes back to 
understanding who you are as a person. So yeah, you will eventually get into a college and move on with your life. But this process is a chance to learn about yourself, about who you are as a person, about where you see yourself in the future and about what, what you really want from this life. Don't shortchange this opportunity. It could be one of the most transformative periods you'll ever experience. Uh, so remember, it's as much about the journey as it is the destination. Very good. Wise words, Mr. Reeves, wise words. Thank you, sir. And remember, you can always listen to Get Schooled on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And you can follow us on Twitter at GetSchooled3 and on the internet at AskMrReeves.com slash GetSchooled. Joel, bring us home with our next episode. So for the next episode, and it's kind of funny, the timing of this, uh, we're going to explore a topic that that now ties directly into our new occupational settings. Uh, as we mentioned before, uh, Mr. Reeves has retired from public education after 27 years of service and has now become an independent counselor. Um, and this is, it's funny because this is a conversation that we've had many times while he was a public school counselor. Uh, but now I think it's appropriate uh, that we have this conversation while I am still a public school counselor and while he is now an independent counselor. Uh, what are the roles of each and how can they work together for the overall success of students? Um, how can they coexist with each other and um, do what's, what's best for our students? And so I think that'll be a really good topic for us to explore uh, on our next episode. Thanks for listening. All right. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time on Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. How in the name of all that is holy did you get that? I told you. Ugh. And I got a good guess in. You tell me when you're ready. 9.30. I can't see it. Oh, yeah. Well, let's try 9.45. Cause... <laughs> 9.45. I'm like, I can't see the time. Oh, wait. Yeah, I can. <laughs> now I've got that written down for Mike.